morning and good afternoon, depending on wherever you at the time of this recording. This is episode 72 of the Restricted Zone podcast, and we're back with an NFL action-packed episode, back with the crew. Uh, Kyrie, introduce yourself, man. Yo, what's going on, fellas? Let's get to it. Absolutely. Chris, introduce yourself, man. Let's have another good episode today, everybody. Let's get to it. Yes, sir. Kendrick, introduce yourself, man. You know who it is. The smartest guy on the podcast, as always. Yeah, yeah. Smartest guy indeed. Johnny, introduce yourself, man. Hello, world. Just Johnny. Tap it in, baby. Just Johnny. NFL passionate episode this week. Uh, but before we dive into the NFL side of things, we're going to stick on to the NBA just for a little bit. Uh, a big controversy around the NBA. I'm sure you guys have heard or heard about it by now. The Boston Celtics head coach, uh, in his current situation, uh, uh, basically an issue has arrived, uh, that was leaked by the Celtics, a uh, major issue that's taken the sports world by storm as of now currently, uh, a constant heated debate. Uh, definitely wanted to get you guys thoughts before we dive onto the NFL. Uh, Chris, just give me your thoughts on the Boston Celtics head coach, the the suspension he received, a year long suspension. Do you feel was justified? Was it correct? And and also in terms of the female who had the con- consensual relationship, which we don't have the full details on her, uh, but uh, should she be facing the punishment as well, and not just Ime Udoka? I'm gonna swing it to you, Chris. I mean. I'm going to say she probably shouldn't face any backlash or anything because although it's a sensual relationship, we see these type of things probably happen in the front offices and within these major sports companies a lot more than we think about. And it just takes me back to over the summer, or not over the summer, about maybe a month or so ago, um, when Vince McMahon, when Vince McMahon scandal from the 80s came back up because he was kind of having consensual relationships, quote-unquote, with uh, with women that were working in the that were working in WWE with him at that time during the eighties, but he would give and he would pay the money to keep quiet about it. So I mean, I think it's just I think it's really unfortunate that he made could put himself in this situation. I think it's really unfortunate he did that, and now not like that, but he's kind of he's diminishing that bright light that he had when he first got to Boston. Everybody looked at him as just that as a nice coach from the Popovich tree. That was that led the Celtics to the finals, and we were expecting big things from the Celtics for years on, as long as they kept that core together, and as long as he was the coach. But now you take it to the fact that now you have this situation going on, and it's probably going to hang over the Celtics' heads all year, which is why they might have they might have a struggling year. Now we don't know what this interim coach is going to do. We don't know what he's going to bring to the table. We don't know if he's going to change things. Amy Udoka did with his system, but we do know now is that. For the entirety of this year, for sure, this Ime Udoka situation is going to be hanging over the heads of Boston Celtics fans, players, coaches, etc. And I think, and I think the Boston Celtics bought it on themselves. So not only when they made the leak to make this public, because again, I feel like this happens a lot. So it, why did you leak it to the public? Why didn't you just handle it internally? Now, yes, you have to tell the certain people of each respective parties about what happened, but that's because you do that doesn't mean that the media has to know. And then not only that though, but I think it was bad that they gave him a year of suspension. Cause I feel like for an act like this, he should have been fired. Cause I feel like at the end of the day, he's going to be fired just when the season ends. But I feel like they want to see what this new coach is going to do with this team, which is why I feel like they gave him the year long suspension. Cause they want to see how he meshes with the group. But I feel like, Regardless of how he goes, he maybe Ducker shouldn't be the head coach of the Boston Celtics anymore. I feel like he needs to take some time away from basketball, figure out his personal life, and maybe, just maybe, by the grace of God, he'll get another opportunity to coach somewhere else. But I feel like he destroyed his not only his reputation, but possibly his coaching career because of what he's just got himself involved with. Okay. Kendrick, uh, Chris made some key points, uh, particularly in terms of him. Uh, he should be fired. It's uh, not just a year-long suspension. Uh, Chris made another key point about uh, what his future would be like in terms of coaching. Uh, just give me your thoughts. Do you feel like he should be fired? Do you co-signed it? And do you feel like he has a future in terms of coaching? I'm going to be honest. I don't think he deserved to be fired. Yes, he did have a sexual relationship. And, yes, people in somewhat said some a lot. I've been, I heard that it was, like, very aggressive. 
that he was very aggressive towards the lady in that time when um when they had their situationship going on in the and during the season and everything and the fact that it's coming to light now I feel like yes you have to bring it to light but also I also feel like there has to be another side to it where it just feels like there's multiple things that get out as you see as he brought about Vince McMahon in the 80s and like people and there's probably a bunch of people a bunch of old staff people in NFL teams that do x y and z like even um the Joe um Brudden, right, the former Raiders uh, head coach, about his emails. And I just feel like they pick and choose when they want things to come out or who they want to target. Because I feel like you can you can probably go down the entire NBA line where you see somebody is, like, having an inappropriate relationship or saying something inappropriate. And this goes on in the common workplace, not only just in the NBA. This is a common workplace thing that women have to deal with. And it's just like, are we firing? Are we giving him this very own suspension? Does he deserve to get fired because of the big platform he on? But if it's just a big platform on and not just because of what he's done in his actions, then I feel like that's not fair to the woman, even though it is two parts because she has not come out and said that this was rape. So therefore, she was also consenting to it and he may push the boundaries or push the envelopes a little bit more. And yes, that's a problem. Probably would they address that. But if anybody, if people want to get fired, they both deserve to get fired because it seemed very, what I'm hearing, it seemed consensual. So I'm not, so they, somebody gets fired. They both deserve to get fired. And does he have another chance to coach in the NBA? I don't think a head coach. I mean, I feel like he could probably coach again, but mm-hmm. as a head coach, it might take him some years. He might have to work his way back up the ladder, being an assistant coach, being a player's coach, a development coach, being something else. But a head coach right away off of this incident, no, if they do proceed to let him go. Even though the Celtics could not proceed to let him go and just be like, hey, we just got to give you something, but we really don't want to get rid of you. So making you miss a year is the best thing we can do because we still like the potential and like the value you bring to our team because as soon as he was the head coach, he did lead them to the NBA Finals. Granted, he did not win, but I mean, it's hard going up against the Warriors and someone experienced, and this is like everyone's first time, basically. So, you know, I give that, but at the end of the day, I don't think he deserves to get fired, but if they do decide to fire, both him and the woman deserve to get fired. Okay, now, uh, in terms of that, before I swing it to Johnny, uh, I do believe if it was consensual, uh, as of now, uh, at the time of this recording, uh, I believe both, you know, both are adults. Uh, you guys both made a decision. Uh, and yes, I do agree with you with that, Kendrick, on that front. Uh, they should both be held equally responsible. Um, I definitely don't disagree with that. Johnny, um, do you feel like she should be held responsible and Udoka, uh, do you feel like he should be fired? Uh, I definitely agree with the idea of Udoka being fired, but not the idea of him not possibly being able to coach again. I do believe that he his value. I do agree with the idea of Boston just getting uh, sitting him down for a year. Um, his value, his potential. I think that's like the only thing, his only lifeline that's keeping him alive. I agree with the concept. The woman needs to be fired as well. A hundred percent. Uh, she needs to be fired. I um, I'm hearing it's it. This is a very this is a very messy situation, and it's it's. It seems like little, the littlest information is being leaked out, but like from what we can gather, this, it was consensual. This woman was on staff, is, is a member of the staff. And at the end of the day, um, I, she, the thing that blew the whole situation up was, I believe it was, I don't know if it was from her, but there were sources saying that, uh, he accused, that she accused Yudoka of making unwanted comments toward her. That led the team to set to set you know an investigation, which basically blew the, blew the whole thing up. But I feel like she played into played her part into this to an extent. And even if at the end she decided to be done with it, she was she still should be held accountable. Uh, but Udoka's situation, I, I I really do like him as a coach, and this is terrible, like you guys said, especially like where he's where he's come from as far as his coaching career and where he's at now. Um, this is, this is weird. I've also heard that the woman, I think she's like, I heard that she was like the wife, she's the wife of, uh, the Celtic Vice President, Patrick Lynch. Her name is Kathleen Nemo Lynch, I believe. So, that, 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 I just re- recently received that bit of information via NBC Sports News. So, this is a sticky situation, but I do agree with the concept of, if he's going to be fired, eventually she needs to be fired as well, just based off of the simple fact that she was a part of staff, 
and the agreement was consensual. I don't think it's eventually. I think that they should be fired at the same time. Yeah, shoot. I mean, they didn't get rid of him yet. So, I mean, if they at the same time, I agree. Like, if the event that he gets fired in the near future, like, yeah, she needs to go too. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, I agree with the concept of why they suspended him. But, yeah, she has to go, guys. She was on that staff as well. Okay, Kyrie, I swing it to you. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you this, Kyrie. Uh, your franchise, uh, you're not very satisfied with the coach. You kind of know the direction of the current coach that you have right now. You're watching the situation over there at Boston. Uh, do you feel like, would you give Idoka a shot at becoming the head coach? Of course, with intensive background research, or do you feel like he's too much of a gamble, uh, with his track record? But if you look at the on the court achievements, the people who, who he studied under, like Pop, you know, he's got some great pedigree. And then his first run as a full-time head coach, he takes the team to the NBA Finals. Uh, what what are you thinking about, and would you take that gamble on him becoming your current head coach for your franchise? Um, that's a really good question, Colin. For one, I can't downplay Ime Udoka's uh, successes that he had this season with the Boston Celtics. Of course, with their slow start, that was highly pub- publicized. Um, with the main headliner being that Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown could have played together. He went on to, de- to debunk that, managed to get the Celtics to become a 50-win team, uh, second in the East, and brought them to the, uh, to the finals to get the Warriors where they ultimately lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a first-year head coach, that's, that's phenomenal. And I definitely could understand why Celtics fans feel like this is a large blow because that this is, that's your first year with a guy who's in his first year ever head coaching a team, you can't help but be excited. You can't help but feel like you guys have potential to make it back to the finals and have, and have an illustrious, uh, I guess, time span with this core. Right, so, right. yeah, I feel like it, it definitely hurts. And you, like I said, you can't take away from what he did on the court. But um, I, I have to answer your question, Kyle. I do feel like he is too much of a risk. Mm. Looking at it from, like you said, from a standpoint of a GM or just somebody uh, getting older of a team or anything that's looking for a head coach. I just feel like, again, you accomplish all this stuff on the court in your first year as head coach, but you created such a mess and such a problem eternally with your organization in their first year and entrusting you with their head coach position. And I'm not saying that's not redeemable. I'm not saying that he can't change and he can't come back from these mistakes. Everybody, everybody I feel like is redeemable and can come back from, from certain mistakes. Right. But I just feel like, that drama, that narrative, that cloud coming coming over to my new team, my my team that I'm trying to get reinvigorated, my roster I'm trying to get reinvigorated, and to a crowd, a fan, a fan base I'm trying to get reinvested into my team. I can't, I couldn't really take that risk. Right, um, right. I just, again, I just feel like with everything that comes around it, like you just, it's just not a great, a good feeling to have knowing that. Again, in his first year, his very first year, the very first chance and opportunity he got to become a head coach of a team, right? he was irresponsible and ultimately may have cost somebody else their job or their position that plays a key role in that organization as well. I couldn't have that kind of detriment in my organization. Uh, very fair points. I want to hang that question in the air. Uh, anyone else, you guys agree, uh, as a franchise, would you give Idoka a shot personally if you're a franchise? Or you feel like the risk is too much for it, as Kyrie mentioned. He made some valid points too. Uh, anyone wants to answer that question? Johnny, you cutting out, bro. Johnny, you cutting out. I'm gonna swing it to you, Kendrick. Go ahead. Uh, to be honest, I, I would, uh, I would definitely take a chance with him. Like, I understand this is a bad thing, but I mean, I'm gonna just keep my wife away from him, honestly. <laughs> but do you want to have to do that, though? Like, that's what I'm saying. Do you want to have that? I'm gonna feel, I'm gonna keep it above. I mean, it really doesn't matter. I, that's also just like having trust in your woman, but at the end of the day, I would, to give another chance to somebody, everybody deserves second chances. I don't even want to write him off because I mean, yes, he did do an infidelity, but it wasn't 
Like, yes, it's bad, and we don't know how bad it was. Just put by the information we have, I'm going to give him another chance. Unless there's more information that comes out that he was really being, a, like, a very bad person to her and, like, very rude and ignorant and X, Y, and Z, then I'm going to be like, maybe you don't deserve a second chance or a third chance. But if it's just what we know and that's all it really was, he got a little too aggressive because he probably was a little too comfortable, and that's what made him get too, made him become overly aggressive. I mean, I feel like that's behavior that can be fixed and changed and be like, and not be, and not be, um, not come out in a person if they, if that relationship is established. And again, I'm not going to put all the blame on him because there was still two, another person in this who was also doing the act. So until otherwise, I'm saying he gets 50% of the blame and she gets 50% of the blame until other things are said or something else is brought out. Okay. Okay. All right, so we move on from that discussion. That was just our thoughts. We move on to the NFL side of things. Wow, NFL, the AFC. Man, Chris. Woof, Mr. Raiders. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. First of all, don't get all hyped like y'all played somebody yet, but I'll, I'll address wait, the wait, AFC wait, West. Wait, wait, last time oh, I checked, last time I checked, I believe, uh, we're, we're, we're 3-0. Oh. You haven't played a complete game yet, like like your boy said. Like y'all had, y'all had four. Now, now, now again, because you trying to go off topic and try to make fun of somebody. Let me address the AFC West, since that's what we're getting to. I'll go first. Now, I heard this. I heard this question earlier today to ask: Was the NFC West overrated? No. I don't think it's overrated. Are they up to a bad start? Yes. Each team. And well, I'll say each team except the Chiefs outside of that terrible loss against the Colts last week. Each team is off to the rough start in their own personal way. Now, that doesn't mean it's overrated. That just means it still needs time to just mesh. They still need time to build chemistry and stuff. Now, I'll break it down team by team. We can start with the Broncos. Now, with the Broncos, we all know that Russell Wilson was a big man coming in on campus. And they made sure he was a big man to stay on campus when they gave him that contract extension. Now, what we've seen for the first three weeks of the season is that their offense is the same, has the same problems that it had last year. Kind of like, an, like a, another team that I'm going to talk to you about in a little bit. They still really don't have offensive lines, so Russell Wilson is still having to do things that he did in Seattle. But not only that, though, him and Nathaniel Hackett cannot get in the same page, page when it comes to play calm. Because a lot of times throughout this year, or throughout these three games they had, I've not seen Jerry Judy be involved that much. I saw his one touchdown against the, against the Seahawks. I really haven't seen Corlett Sutton be involved that much. What I do see, I see the tight ends getting involved, which is good. But again, when you're going up against the Texans, when you're struggling with the Texans and the Seahawks in your first three weeks of the season, that's some eye, that's some, that raised some eyebrows, especially when you have that defense on the other side of you. And we all know how good the Broncos defense is and can be. They're, they're probably, they they were top five in defensive rating last year and they didn't have a quarterback. They had no offense whatsoever, and they were still top five in defense. They're number one, I think, I think right now they're number one in um, opposing points or something like that. They allowed the fewest amount of points in this year right now. So it's not like the defense is bad. It's just that Russell Wilson and Theo Hackett cannot get on the same page. The Chargers situation is a little different. The Chargers just go through injuries. And, I mean, I'm not going to say I saw this coming, but I kind of saw this coming. Because at the end of the day, this is something that happens to the Chargers a lot. And we see it through the past couple of years. No, no doubt. If you t- if you put look at the teams on paper from top to bottom, the Chargers are the most talented team in the AFC West. But they uh-huh. constantly go through their own inner problems, like injuries or whatever the case may be, and that's causing them to break down. Right now, Joey Bose is out. Rashad Slater is out. Uh, J.C. Jackson is still dealing with his ankle injury. Keenan Allen is still dealing with his ankle injury. That's four Pro Bowlers who you just gave who all have big contracts on your team. Mike Williams, he's looking good, but, I mean, He's really not, he hasn't played up to his contract yet, although it's still early. And now what we're seeing is Justin Herbert is hurt, and it's still early in the season. He is beat up right now after only three games. So they have a lot to figure out internally, I, I, even with that next man up slogan or whatever the case may be. But they're kind of getting – this season's kind of falling down due to injuries. Now, because Colin just wants to hear this, let's get to the 0-3 Raiders. Now, the problem with them, same problems as last year. They still really don't have a good offensive line. And you know why? Because John Groove wanted to break up the offensive line before he left. Why? I don't know. I really don't know. But we still have a, a bottom, a, I'll say, 
offense line is probably ranked twenty fifth at best out of the league, which is terrible when you have the talented guys in your. We have the talented guys on your offensive side. Now, let's see. We go to week one. They 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 played all right against the Chargers. They played okay. They didn't do enough though. Week two against the Cardinals. Mike um, Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr were conservative. For what reason, I don't know. If you can know you can score against the Cardinals, why not continue to try to score? Run the ball, give it to Josh Jacobs, pass when you can. They got conservative, and because they got conservative, the defense got tired. So even though they were holding them to, they were holding them scores in the first half, when your defense has to constantly keep getting them the field because you can't even get, you can't even drop the ball, you put the ball in a 50 yard drive to even get a field goal range, your defense is going to get tired. So, they said that the defense got tired as the Cardinals. They couldn't. They made mistakes because of that, and that's how the game went to overtime and stuff. And then Hunter Renfro just got hanging on to the ball. It was a good hit. He just got hanging on to the ball. He fumbled twice in that possession, mind you, in overtime. He just hanging on to the ball. And then you go last week against the Titans. Same thing, basically. Defense okay. I mean, the, the defense was okay. Yes, the Titans scored early, and yes, Ryan Taylor got off to a good start, but. A look, but as the game went on, that all started to slow down. But the offense couldn't respond. So their problem is they just can't get a nice cohesion of offense and defense. And Josh McDaniels, I think, needs to figure out. And well, I would get to Derek Carr in a second. I think mean, Josh McDaniels needs to figure out a right game plan and not be conservative. If you got to score forty points on the team to win, score forty points. It's fine. You have the talent to do so. Stop being conservative. Go ahead. And now I got to. Come with my man Derek Carr, because as much as I like this man, as much praise as I give him, he is playing mm. like absolute trash these first three weeks. Trash. Okay, Chris. Yeah. Hey. Oh, you want to keep saying something every time I talk? <laughs> oh, be polite, everyone. Now, now like I said, Derek Carr is playing like three. I can be polite. <laughs> what you say? <laughs> anyway. We get to Derek Carr. He's played like trash the first two weeks of the season. Now, in week one, him, the connection with him and Devontae Adams was great. It was what I expected. Devontae Adams went off. Derek Carr did okay. He didn't do great. He did okay. That's fine, though, because that's ha- that usually happens to him when he plays against a divisional opponent like the Chargers in L.A. He doesn't always play his best, but he does okay. Now, week two or week three, that's when he needs to step up. Now, he hasn't been throwing to Devontae Adams. Yes, Devontae Adams has scored every game he's played in, but Devontae Adams, I saw that first game, hasn't even gotten over 50 yards receiving. And I think that's because Derek Carr right now is so focused on trying to get others involved, they forget that he has freaking Devontae Adams on his team. That's always open. That will just always get open. But I feel like he doesn't want to force feed him the ball because, again, Devontae Adams asks him not to give him the ball every time. He wants this to be a team sport. But at the end of the day, if you had Devontae Adams, use him. Utilize him. You use him to his advantage, that'll open up the, that'll open it up for other people, like a Darren Wall, like a Matt Collins, who was turned into a very nice complimentary receiver, like a Hunter Renfro. It's just the fact that I think Derek Carr's trying to be too, he's trying to be, he's trying to please everybody. And I don't like that right now. I don't like the fact that he's trying to please everybody. I want him to go out there and say, listen, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this is how we're going to win. They Devontae, I'm going to give you the ball 15 times so we can win. I'm going to give you the ball 15 times. Just get open. Devontae Adams can get open. That's not the problem. But, again, I can't put all the blame on Derek Carr because, again, you have an offensive line that can't block to save their life. It's tough to have time to look to see when he gets open. So, I'm not going to say it's overrated. It's only been three weeks. I mean, yeah, we're 0-3 right now. We were 3-0 last year. But at the end of the day, just like last year, we still slumped off and still somehow made the playoffs. So, it's only been three weeks. I'm, I was frustrated about the Times game, but I know it's not the end of the world. Now we just got to go to Denver and handle our business. Simple. If they see what's overrated, though, I would say not. It's only been three weeks. All right, so you guys will be 0-4. Uh, Kendrick, so tell me, uh, give me your thoughts on the AFC West. And, uh, what was the, some of the biggest surprises that you so far three games in uh, based on each team? Based on each team, my biggest surprise, number one, honestly, is the Raiders being 0-3. I'll start from the bottom up. Chris, I'm not trying to rag on them, but honestly – they're, they they not doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing. And I just don't understand what's so difficult because it's like your offense should be more – Derek Carr should be doing better. Like Derek Carr should be should be out here looking like Aaron Rodgers with Devontae Adams. And his other receiver – every other receiver tight end should be looking like Devontae Adams if they were Devontae Adams. But it's just like 
Why is he? Why is there so much conservativeness? Why? Why is everyone being conservative? Like this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. Like, like even you can look at the Dolphins. Like you know we gonna get into that later. But like look at Tyreek Hill. Why now? Why is Jalen Waddle being you know such a great receiver? Now looking like a great receiver instead of looking like a good receiver because they actually people are scheming. Like all right, if you have Devontae Adams, why aren't we scheming him? We're all right, we're forcing them to double team. Now we're leaving one on one with our guys. Why aren't we just taking that and calling it a day? They're not doing that. And then also, he doesn't have time because of the O-line. But then this also ties into the Broncos' problem as well. Like, Raiders, it's more so the offensive scheme and, and plan that they have going on that's not, that I feel like it's not meshing well and they need to change that. And then the side, another thing is their O-line, but I'm going to say but that's going to be for the Broncos because the Broncos' O-line is horrible. Because it's like their defense, we all know the Broncos' defense is great. They have great weapons. Like, this is what I'm saying. Russell Wilson moved there because of the great weapons, the great defense, and he's like, honestly, y'all have an okay line. I mean, the line, you can't, you would say that it's better than um, the Seahawks, but the way they play, it don't look better than the Seahawks. It looked like the same exact thing, just like he was doing in Seattle. And that's not, and that's what he's tired of. But for some reason, they're 2 and 1. They're doing their thing. Honestly, if that line, old line can step up, they I, they will take the division by storm. Their old line has to step up and actually do their job. Moving on to the Chargers, honestly, fundamentally, there's nothing really wrong with the Chargers, offensively and defensively. They have great names on offensive side. They have great names on defense side. They have great players that can make great uh, that can make game winning plays and can change the game can change the game with one of their plays. But you can't do that on the sideline. You can't do that hurt. So if they can stay healthy, this this really would be a rough and tough league uh, uh, um, division, honestly, because it's like you have the Chargers, Chiefs, Raiders, like all this great talent, but if you don't have if nobody's healthy for it, then it's all for nothing. It's all for a waste. It's all for a wash. And I mean, the Chiefs is looking like the Chiefs. I feel like I feel like it's not. I feel like it's not as easy for Patrick Mahomes as it was when he had Tyreek Hill, because it's like, oh, when in doubt. Tyreek Hill, can you get open as long as I, you know, run around in the backfield for like a couple seconds and boom, he's going to break away. But he doesn't have this. So he has to be more, uh, strategic. He has to be more strategic and he has to be more methodical in a sense, just trying to figure out being like, who will be open and like, how will they get open if I improvise? And he, I feel like he's also spending a lot more time in the pocket than he usually has in previous years. And I think that's all just due to the fact that he doesn't have that one person that he can break outside the pocket. He knows it's going to be for sure getting open. It's like when Tariq's there, nine times out of ten, Tariq is going to get open if, you, if he breaks out the pocket. But now it's like three out of ten if someone's going to actually get open. So, honestly, the Chiefs should be worried because let the Broncos get a bet. Like the whole line pick up, hey, they're going to drop. If the Chargers actually stay healthy, they might drop. And if the Raiders may change their game plan and start incorporating Devontae Smith, even if he gets – if you target him 10, 15 times, he gets 10 catches. He's a Devontae Smith, brother. Oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry. I was thinking, you know, he said it's okay to call him that. He said it was okay. <laughs> he, did, he said, if you get it wrong, call me Devontae Smith. It's like, all right. So my fault. But, but Adam, but you have Adam giving the ball. Target him 15 times. If he only gets 10 catches, that's cool. But what are those other receivers doing? Because by that, by the fifth catch, I'm double teaming Devontae Adams. I'm double teaming him. I'm not about to get cooked by him. I'd rather get cooked by somebody else. Then Devontae Adams. That's my personal opinion. Okay, Kendra, you made a lot of strong points. Uh, Kyrie, I want to swing it to you now. When you look at the AFC and you look, uh, and you look at the record now, let's let's look forward toward the end of the season. Do you feel like the standings based right now in the AFC West? Do you think that'll be the case by the end of the season, or do you feel like it'll be some massive, massive changes? Do you feel like the Raiders are, you know? We'll be stuck at the bottom. Not trying to take shots, Chris. Just genuine question. Yeah, definitely not trying to take shots, Chris. But uh, I don't think the Raiders are going to look as bad as they have been uh, throughout these first three weeks. I definitely think the connection between Devontae Adams and uh, Derek Carr improves. They were only 50, about 50% so far on their targets. So, and I don't. I think it's attributed to a lot what Chris was talking about as far as their offensive line not improving from last year. And um, it's not really allowing Derek Carr to see his weapons and use his weapons in the way that he needs to to manage to get through games. So I definitely I don't see the Raiders being that low though because I think they get it together. I think Josh Jacobs gets it together, and I think Hunter Ruffo comes back from injury. I think he was out with a concussion or something like that, and becomes that uh, third option 
behind Darren Waller, Darren Waller and uh, Devontae Adams that they really need to to pick up that extra yardage and to to help them to help guide them through games. But uh, outside of that, I think it's pretty much going to look the same with the Chiefs being at the top. I mean, I kind of seen them going off coming off to a slow start, even though they're two and one. But offensively, they just simply haven't looked the same. And of course, not having Tyreek Hill does that to you. But um, I kind of see them having seen them having a slow start that kind of like similar to, to they had last year, where uh, their offense just wasn't really as high octane as they're used to seeing. And that's been their problem so far. Now their defense has never been anything to write home about. So, but we have guys like Patrick Mahomes. You have the best tight end in the world, and Travis Kelsey. You're bound to make things happen. And um, I trust them. But the other two teams, when it comes down to the Chargers, the Broncos, uh, it really is disappointing to see the injuries that the the Chargers have suffered, especially with Justin Herbert and that rib injury. You know he's not going to. It takes a it, it takes a lot of that that core strength and that that body that, that body strength to throw the ball and to launch the ball deep. And I know he's hurting. I just know he's hurting out there. And to kind of deal with that, I guess throughout the season isn't really what you were looking forward to, given the signings that you had defensively, given the I guess the the growth you were expecting to see out of your young guys like uh. Like Asante Samuel Jr., uh, Derwin James, you've got J.C. Jackson in the offseason, and um, Khalil Mack as well. You're expecting to see production out of those guys. And just seeing the injuries, of, along with the injuries to your, to your quarterback, who was expected to make another leap and uh, reassert himself as one of the best QBs in the league, it's just something you don't want to see for the Chargers. But that's all given on if they can be healthy, I think they could definitely make a run and actually be a contender in the entire AFC. And make a push for a Super Bowl. I think this. I think the Chargers have that much talent, and I believe in Justin Herbert that much. But the Broncos is has been. This is the last time I talked to the Broncos. Uh, they to me have been the most disappointing and kind of honestly the most boring team to watch so far this season. Um, I've watched the first game against the Seattle Seahawks, and I'm so happy the Seahawks brought <laughs> got that win because I just feel like the the Broncos that. They didn't deserve it, and I feel like Russell Wilson didn't play like he they, he wanted it. He wasn't finding find Jerry Judy. He wasn't finding Corliss Sutton, and the run game was just mediocre at best. And it just seems like they weren't really on the same page whatsoever. And then their last game against the Forty Nine ers, I literally fell asleep on. I literally fell asleep in, in the middle of that game, and I was kind of mad at myself because I wanted to watch it to see if they had improved from the last time I had watched them, but it just wasn't looking like it. You still can't find Jerry Judy. Um. Melvin Gordon, he, I think, fumbled three times so far this season, and uh, he was a, he was a, he was a good spark plug for them last year. I was kind of looking forward to them having him back and, and being that secondary back behind Devontae Williams because he can make passes at the backfield too and make good plays for you. But it right. just seems like they they haven't got it together, and I just don't think they're going to get it together because watching this team right now is very reminiscent of watching Russ in his final years with the Seahawks, where their offensive line was terrible. And they just had no offensive power. And everybody kind of pointed a finger to that as to what seemed like Russ's decline throughout playing those games. But now I feel like we're kind of questioning maybe is it, is it Russ now? Can we, can we blame the team? Like it's, it's, it's up in the air as far as who the blame, like who the blame goes towards with that. But I feel like again, it's only week three. We're still early into the season and um, we got a lot of football to watch. So it is no telling who may turn it around, who may get worse. You never know. Okay, Kyrie, you made some strong points uh, mirroring the uh, how Russell was doing the Broncos back to his later years with the Seahawks. That was a great mirror. Johnny, uh, can you hear me? All clear, Colin. What's up, Got you. All right, so uh, just give me your predictions by the end of the year. What's the AFC West standings will look like? Who do you have from top to bottom and why? Uh, top to bottom and why? Yes. Ooh, ooh, that was a left question. Let me see. Uh, early, early, Feel early. Feel pretty tiny, God. Feel like at the end. She's Louise. Uh, honestly, I'm still. I still believe. Uh, I still do believe in it. I'm sorry. I got to go with the Chiefs. They have the least amount of problems. I uh-huh. think their problems. I got to go with the Chiefs. Uh, they, they they have least amount of problems. I gotta go with them first. I'll I'll see. It depends on Denver, but I will have to put the Chargers at second. 
I believe that those injuries do clear up soon. Kenny Allen's coming back. Um, couple of other weapons. We'll see how we'll see how Justin Herbert feels about those ribs. And honestly, I got the Raiders plummeting in, in fourth. And I, I I'm just I'm sorry, I'm just not a fan of Josh McDaniels. I got the Raiders just finishing dead last. And and with the Broncos, honestly, I just have to believe. I, I, it's the same thing that you guys are saying. It's just issues with the offensive coordinator or just the coach. It's just issues with the offense and Russell Wilson, mainly with that offensive line. They they tried to take care of it in training camp. They signed two veterans on for that right tackle position. They ended up being hobbled, didn't get a chance to play yet. So they're like, I think the third string right tackle with Calvin Anderson. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, those like KJ Hamler. If you, I, I believe, I believe he did play week three. I'm not sure. I was dozing off in and out of that as well. But at the same time, they just, they just offense is just not what we thought it would be, and that's that's extremely disappointing. With the Raiders, I, they just had that defense, guys. I'm gonna leave the fact alone that I'm just biased against Jonathan Gaines. I never liked him as a head coach, but it's just the Raiders defense. Max Crosby is coming back. Chandler Jones is gonna need help. I think he's had like maybe two, three quarterback hits so far. Like, period. So, like, that's – and at the same time, like, they just give up. to Even with the Titans game, like, yeah, they played good in the second half, but that 24-point score, which is too much to overcome, so the, Card- the Cardinals, I think they just um, they just blew that when they were up 20-nothing 20, 20 in halftime. And then the Cardinals just torched them in the fourth quarter, and then they just gave up 14 unanswered points, I think, to the Chargers in the second quarter, I think. So their defense is just – it's just not, ugh, it just seems to get worse and worse as the weeks go on. It is still early, like y'all said. Things can get turned around and everything, but at the same time, like I said, the Chiefs have, they have the minimal amount of problems. They just have flag issues. I think in the last loss to the Colts, I think it was just flag issues, and I think just what uh, internal issues. A muff punt, um, a missed extra point, and like a, I think like an unsportsmanlike penalty that backed them up or something like that, and I think those are issues that they can fix. And with that pedigree and with that quarterback, Pat Mahomes, I think that I got the Chiefs placing first and the Raiders last. I got to put the Chargers second. And that's only because I'm just super disappointed in the Broncos. Hold okay. on. I got to come back and you talk about the Raiders defense because I, I don't want them to feel like they have the blame on it. Now, I, I okay. blame on the Raiders defense for a few times now over this past couple of years. But for this year, I cannot put the blame on them. So, yes, they started out very sluggish against the Tennessee Titans. But 24 points is literally three touchdowns in a field goal. And if, you te- if you're coming to me and telling me they have an offense with Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, Matt Collins now who's looking pretty nice, and you mean tell me I can't score three, at least three to four touchdowns back? Like, I'll be like, yeah, I'll be okay with that. Now, with the – Cardinals game, yes, they they did hold them to zero points in the first in the first half, which was good. But the offense was also going on long drives. They had time possession drives in the first half. When it got to the second half, it was just three and outs, three and outs, three and outs. They weren't really converting first downs. They weren't getting first downs. So when your defense has to play so much of the second half, you're going to get tired at certain points. Now, yes, they did make a couple key stops at the stretch, but they couldn't make all the stops because they were tired. You saw Kyler Murray running around the pocket all over the place for 20 seconds before he started to run to the end zone. That The defense is just tired. I mess Crosby and Chandler Jones. They've gotten back there. If you look at if you look at the games on the line, they get back to either the quarterback gets running too fast or they or they tackle before or well, basically the quarterback gets running too fast, actually. That's about it. But they're getting back there. They're getting hurries. Mass Crosby is still getting hurt. Chandler Jones is still getting back there. The problem is, though, is the fact that when your defense finally starts to get a couple stops, they Get, trade some stops together. The offense can't do it to to recuperate that. Week one against the Chargers, we the defense got a big stop, and the Raiders had the ball and with basically in the two minute drill. So and they were down by a touchdown. So the defense did their job. The defense gave them a chance to score the, to score and, and to um go into there to either take the lead or, t- or tie the ball game. But what happened? The offensive line couldn't protect anybody, and Columbia ended up getting the game winning set. He actually they actually got two. Could be his back to back on that series. So that's not the defense's fault that the offense just can't seem to step up when they need to step up. You go to the Titans game. The defense gave them big stops in the second half. The last, on the last drive, the, this, the, 
um, they scored, the Raiders scored a touchdown. They were down by two, so they had to go for two. But Derek Carr, I don't know if it was because he was just thinking fast, or I don't know if it was because the line couldn't protect him. He just said, okay, I'm going to throw the first person I see open. And when he made that pass to Darryl Waller, Darryl Waller wasn't even in the end zone yet. So even if he had caught it because the ball went through his hands, I don't even know if he would have scored. So, like, for stuff like that, I can't blame the defense for the reason that the offense can't get it going. So I feel like, if, you, if as a defense, if you give up 20 in between 20, um, tw- three touchdowns, 21 points to 27 points a game, your offense should be able to recuperate that. Especially when you have offense with all that talent like the Raiders have. So I feel like I can't put so much blame on their defense when the defense is just exhausted from the offense not doing anything. Might be notorious. Maybe they're just used to this. They're notoriously, I'm just used to just their defense being bad. Maybe a little bit. How about that, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so we move on from the AFC to the young generation of quarterbacks. Man, two quarterbacks that have been playing absolutely great. Uh, some would say phenomenal. Uh, we have one quarterback from the Miami Dolphins. He was the top five pick, Tua. And we have another young quarterback that plays for the best team in the league, the Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts. Both came in the 2020 NFL draft. One was the top five pick, the other slid to the second round. Uh, Kendrick, I want to start with you. Tell me, do you feel like this start so far has been a fluke, or do you feel like these are what these guys are really capable of doing, and they're finally tapping into the potential, and we're witnessing something great? Um, I'm gonna have to say maybe the Dolphins is a little bit of a fluke. It could be, but I'm gonna I'm not gonna say that. But people can say that just because I'm gonna put just because you have Tyreek Hill there, and mm-hmm. then having Tyreek Hill is such a strong presence that you know allows Mike Gesicki, Jalen Waddle. And whoever other and like Edmonds for all those other key pieces to step up and give two a chances to go. But like as I'm watching this game right now, watching the Dolphins versus the Bengals, honestly, Tua's over here struggling. And it's just like, hmm, is it was it, is it really Tua or is it just like, you know, maybe it's just the players around him. And he did he's not really and he's not really doing it because I mean he still struggles with the deep ball. He still doesn't have a strong enough arm to throw the deep ball, especially having Tyreek Hill. You need to have a strong enough arm to not overthrow him. To underthrow him, I'm sorry, not overthrow, underthrow him. Because, I mean, if you put the ball out in front of him, I, I, there's a there's a high, there's a 90% chance probably that he can go and get the ball and go catch it. But you don't underthrow him, that, that like takes him back, and that's like holding back his ability to show um, the great playmaker he is. So, overall, I am worried about the Dolphins. I'm just worried about Tua's level of play and him keeping it to that uh, standard and high level. However, Jalen Hurts, yes. I mean, you can look at the Eagles and say overall what their problem is. They are a half team, maybe even sometimes a quarter team, depending on the game. But is that just because they are not actually producing, or is it just because they're taking their foot off the gas? And I feel like in the NFL, you should never take your foot off the gas. I don't care if you're up by 10, 20, 30, or 40. Never take your foot off the gas because at the end of the day, there's a chance the team could come back. There's a chance the team can do something crazy. So I feel like they need to stop taking their foot off the gas. But as a Jalen Hurts play, um, actually, just just if y'all didn't know, he was the NFC Offensive Player of the Month. Just throwing out there for big Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Um, but like as you can see, he's he's shown that he's been more accurate. You know, he's he's they're utilizing him both as a dual threat. Um, he's running the ball. He's getting nice runs. You know, he's starting to pass. He has AJ Brown. You know, look at look. We was just talking the other week, right, about Devontae Smith, and I'm like. Give it time. Now look at him. But he had over 100 yards in the first half, right? Like, this is what we like to see. And this is all going to mesh well. It's still the beginning of the season. You know, they still figuring it out. You know, it's going to be this, this, and then watch. They're going to start looking in midseason form coming in the next, like, I would say the next week or two. They're going to start looking like they're in midseason form and being like, hey, we're we're no joke. We're actually a legitimate team that's going to win the division and going to make some noise in the playoffs. How much are they making the noise in the playoff? I don't know. But I feel like they're going to make some noise and really going to put their foot down to being like, we're going to take over this division this year. And I feel like this is the year that they're going to do it. Okay. Very valid points. Kyrie, I want to swing it to you. Uh, you see these two young quarterbacks. You see what they've done so far this season. Uh, are you looking at it from a perspective of a fluke, or do you feel like we're witnessing something? Are these guys are tapping into the potential? Um, I'm gonna talk about my guy Jalen Hurst first. Uh, I definitely don't believe his is a fluke just because we seen the come up last year. And no, last year wasn't great, but 
you see him mature. You see him start to to little by little, week by week, fix things and become better at certain things and start to improve his game. And now with him the first uh, these first three weeks in the season, you can tell he absorbed everything from last season, all the ups, all the downs, all the lows. And he took everything, he internalized it, and he used it all to make himself a better player all around. And you could definitely see that. And you could see that in his – not just in his play, but in his poise. And I just feel like in his confidence – when he's out there on the field, he definitely looks a lot different from, from last season. And he looks a lot more grown up. His deep ball is a lot sharper. Um, he's still running the ball like a madman. He's getting, getting comparisons to Lamar Jackson as far as the dual threat. And those two are the t- are top two right now in MVP vote in the MVP race, if you ask me. Josh so, Allen. I just feel. Okay. I, I can't, I can't argue Josh Allen. <laughs> I can't. But. His name is in the echelon of those, of, of, the, of those two guys. I'm just saying it can't be it can't be a fluke to me right now, for right now at least it can't be a fluke. And I, I will say though, I wish the Eagles did have a tougher schedule this season because uh, I definitely would like to see him challenge a little bit more outside of the teams that we're we're set up to play against. I don't I don't necessarily fear any of the teams that we're going up against. Um, I feel like the the biggest challenge might be Green Bay at the end of November. But the rest of these teams, like, I don't – there are teams – there are games, though, like we've seen with the Detroit game, where if they they can sneak up on you. They're not that good, but they play hard, and they can sneak up on you and force your hand. I feel that way with Jacksonville coming up this uh, this next game. You have Trevor Lawrence who's playing really well. It looks like he's really grown from last season as well. James Robinson's playing well. Travis, uh, Trevor Etienne coming back from injury, playing good too. And I, I just feel like they're one of those teams that, that are gritty and grimy and get down to it and won't give up easy. So uh, outside of them, I just feel like the Eagles, I wish the Eagles did have a harder schedule so we could kind of see Jalen Hurts put to the test. But we'll just have to wait until playoff time. As far as Tua, I really, really like what I've been seeing from Tua these past couple of games. I'm, that's, I personally, when he uh, was drafted by the Dolphins, I didn't really – I didn't really believe in him much, and I it wasn't really much because of him. I just didn't feel like at the time they didn't have the best, I guess, uh, roster put around him, and I just didn't think he was going to be one of those guys that you could just throw in and he, he starts getting the job done. But over these uh, first three games, he put up over 900 yards. He completed uh, his passes at, at a 71% clip. He's 9-10 in his last starts, and one thing that stood out to me was the second game of the season where he threw for over 400 yards. And he let a comeback win against the Baltimore Ravens, where I felt like they were dead in the water. But he hit Tyreek Hill with two deep passes that were beautiful. And just, I, just watching those those passes, I was just telling myself, two, I wouldn't have been able to do this last year. And crunch time like this, and throwing the ball as deep as he is, and I just felt like he, in this situation, he would have folded last year. He would have crumbled. Mm. And he stepped up to the plate, and he showed us what he was made of. And even in, in last game, playing against the Buffalo Bills, best defense in the league, Super Bowl favorites, barely won. They won marginally, and it was a, and a lot of it was because of Buffalo's mistakes themselves. But he went out there, he played, he played well. It looked like he had a concussion. He suffered a concussion, even though they said it was his back. I don't believe it. But he still went out there, he played, he fought through it like a warrior, and he went out and got the win against the Super Bowl favorite team. And so uh, I don't, I want to say. I'm not so much as sleeping on him yet. I mean, right now, but I will say he's, I, I want to see him prove more to me just because this is his first, I feel like I, I think this is his first year as a full-time starter. And I just want to see more from him. If, like Kendrick said, if he could do it on a consistent basis and if he could do it through adversity, then yeah, I'll completely erase the, the fluke from his name. But yeah, I like what I'm seeing from both guys. The league is definitely in good hands with these two at quarterback. Ah, uh, I couldn't oh, even though, real quick. So mm-hmm. I'm watching the game as an update. He just took a hard hit where his back of the head slammed. I, I literally just seen it. Literally, just and then his hand started creeping up. I think two of my yeah. missed the next. Yeah, game. he might be I, missing. I, I literally one. just seen it. He, he might Yo, be missing. Quarterbacks in games tore up this year. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Good. No, certainly good. Prayers up to him. Hopefully he's able to recover them swiftly. Chris, I want to swing it to you. Uh, uh, just give me your thoughts. Uh, something I've been wondering about when I watch these two young quarterbacks. Uh, what do you feel 
their potential, Jalen Hurst and Tua, respectively, what do you think their potential could be? Do you think they could be superstar quarterbacks, franchise quarterbacks, uh, your average starting quality quarterbacks that do enough just to get you to the playoffs? Or, you know, maybe unfortunately one of them might flame out due to various reasons, offense, construction, et cetera. Just give me your thoughts. I mean, I feel like eventually they're both going to flame out because at the end of the day, there's not really that many dual threat quarterbacks that play that type of style for a long period of time. I mean, honestly, if Michael Vick didn't have his whole situation, his whole situation happen between that, between like 05 to 08, he probably wouldn't have been as electrified as he was when he got to the Eagles. But due to just him not playing football, he still had the athleticism with him. Like we're going to say, like with Lamar Jackson right now. We know right now he's at his peak, but we know sooner or later he's going to come to an end. We saw that with Cam Newton, another dual threat. We saw from like about 20, about what, 2013 to 2015, 2016, peak Cam. But after that, you saw he started getting injured a little bit more. His athleticism started to go a little bit more and he wasn't the same. So I feel like at a certain point, they are going to just run out. I mean, hopefully it's not for at least maybe, hopefully like eight, nine years, 10 years, hopefully. Um, but I feel like at this moment in time, they both have shown a little, they've both shown little peaks of being that franchise quarterback that you want. Now, obviously with the Dolphins situation when it comes to Tua, we know that they got to rekill basically to say Tua, you have everything that you need right now. You have running backs, Raheem Morris and Chase Edmonds, you have receivers, you have a tight end, you have a good offensive line. So right now the Dolphins kind of built this platform for two is to either excel or either we're going to go find another quarterback so as of right now at this point in the season I mean he looks good he looks good I mean you see in the Baltimore game how electrifying this Miami Dolphins defense can uh, defense this Miami Dolphins offense can be can be once they like really pick up because again it's only the three weeks but also at the same time like Kendrick was referring to a little bit Tua has taken hits like Kyrie said, he's been he might be concussed as we as we are speaking right now. So I feel like, I mean, he's shown glimpse, but at the same time, he needs to be careful. Like maybe if he is a little bit banged up right now, it's okay to miss a game or two because like because at the end of the day, it's still the early part of the season. The real season really doesn't begin. The real part of the season doesn't begin until midway point because that's when you know for sure what you have on your team. You know for sure how many games you need to win to put yourself in that playoff spot and, and those sort of things. So I feel like Tua's off to a good start this year. Hopefully he's not banged up too much moving forward, and we can see where that goes. Now for Jalen Hurts, same thing. He's shown a lot of progress from year one to year two, and I think I think the big thing for Jalen Hurts is what he's shown is just the fact that he can actually throw the ball. Now, he might not have that arm strength that people want, but he can throw the ball, and we're seeing that. He's definitely worked – on his passing game during the offseason, which is good. And he's always been a a strong a strong runner when it comes when it comes to just taking it out taking it out the pocket and just getting doing your own thing. Now, in these first three weeks, he's earned the right to be the player of the month. No doubt about it. You see what the addition of AJ Brown to Devontae Smith with that stuff. He still has Dallas Goddard. You still got a very solid offensive line. So, or I'm going to say very solid, one of the top 10, arguably top five offensive lines in the league. So he has, just like Tua, all the pieces around him to basically either be the franchise guy or they need to be like, okay, we need to find somebody else. But so far, being player of the week, that's shown that he's been doing good. Now, I think the test for Jalen is just going to be, how does he do this against, I guess, better opponents? Now, I'm not trying to take away from the team's equals B, because at the end of the day, everybody's professionals. But it's a lot different when you're going out in the field and you see a Tyron Matthew lined up against you. You see an Aaron Donald lined up against you. You see a Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa lined up against you. Then when you see uh injured riddled, um, uh, injured riddled commander's team, that does have that does have one of their best pass rusher or Detroit Lions team or Detroit Lions defense who is still basically this year just for improvement just when just hopefully we can win a lot of games it's just improvement for them so I think it's difficult to see how good Jalen Hurts has gotten but definitely but you can see that he has progressed now obviously the test is going to be later on when you guys face more challenging opponents now but again as of right now. Based on where those two went at this part of the season, they both look like good quality starter, potential franchise quarterbacks. But again, they still have a lot to prove for this season. I know, and I don't want to say the season is going to make or break them, but I kind of feel like it will just because both teams during the offseason went to lengths to make sure that they had everything they needed to excel.
Okay. Man, definitely some fair points. Definitely uh, give me a, a good perspective on both of them uh, on dual threat quarterbacks. That was really a good take, Chris. Uh, Johnny, uh, last but not least, I want to swing it to you before we go to the last topic. Uh, Tua, Jalen Hurts, who do you think will have the more successful season this upcoming season? And which out of the two do you feel like could take their team to the Super Bowl? Respectfully. Uh, not biased here, but you already know Jalen Hurts is my quarterback. But before I get into him, I, at the end, I, I, I got to give it to two guys. I, I'm pretty much going to be echoing with a few points that Kyrie touched on because I basically felt the same way he did. Um, I didn't have faith in Tua. I actually, I, I, I didn't know what to expect of him coming into this year, even that despite the tools that was given to him to succeed. But he's, he's proved me wrong and it's about who he's beat. That's, I think he's, I think that's, it's been the more impressive, more three weeks as far as opponents for Tua in my eyes, uh, beat, uh, especially the last two weeks, Baltimore and Buffalo, um, uh, six touchdowns, uh, against Baltimore and that, that historic comeback and, and barely, and barely stripping by Buffalo. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, coming back from Baltimore and barely stripping by Buffalo, but it's how he did it. Uh, QBR 78-9 against Buffalo, 89-8 against Baltimore, and coming back from being hurt. And um, also, I mean, even in, even against we one against the Patriots, he threw for 270 yards. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I got to give it to him. Um, he, he, he a bigger dog than I thought he was. And, but at the end of the day, I, I would like to see what Jalen can do against better opponents. Y'all. It's just like a lot of y'all said, um, I, I, at the end of the day, we don't make the schedule, but – Yes, I, I, what the toughest, technically the toughest opponent so far on, on the schedule was Minnesota, but Kirk Cousins on primetime night, if you watch football, he doesn't really perform too much, but at the end of the day, we don't make the schedule, and I mean, I, I, I gotta, I gotta give it to my quarterback. He, not only does he lead the NFL in yards per attempt, but in yards per completion, second in the league in first down completion, and second in yards after the catch, after, when he, as he completes the catch. Of course, he's utilizing his tools, and at the end of the day, I think Green Bay's going to be our toughest test. But, yeah, I, I, I'm sold on both quarterbacks. I've got to give it to him, but I'm not going to lie. He just got banged up again. We'll see where that goes, but as far as these past three weeks, I'm, I'm actually sold on both quarterbacks, man. I, I'm, I'm actually a fan. I'm sold on both quarterbacks. But I think Jalen has the best chance to take us all away, Colin. We're going, baby. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I don't disagree with you, sir. All right, we'll move on to the last topic. We're swinging it back to the NFC East. Uh, the Eagles are doing phenomenal. We all expected that. Uh, the Cowboys didn't really expect too much on the Cowboys. Certainly didn't expect much out of the Giants. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not at all. Sorry, Mark. Uh, and the Washington Commanders, uh, pretty much, uh, did I have them being the last team in the NFC East? I've really had the Giants. But uh, the commander is not that surprising as well. Just give me your thoughts on the Giants and the Cowboys. They're currently 2-1 and one right now. Some people are impressed. Some people are looking at it as a fluke. Uh, Chris, just give me your thoughts on the Cowboys and Giants. Um, I mean, kind of just the same thing. They were just both in the other part of the season, so they both had some success. I mean, you saw the Giants. The Giants were 2-1 and one until they went up against the Cowboys in a very, in a very terrible primetime game and they lost but I mean I feel like when it comes just to the opponents that the Eagles have in their division who I guess stacks up the best with them I just had to say the Cowboys just off the fact that they have more talent on their team than the commanders have on their team and that the Giants have on their team now obviously they don't have Dak Prescott and we don't expect much from the Cowboys while Dak Prescott is out I really don't expect much from the Cowboys when Dak Prescott comes back because he keeps saying he wants to come back early and Whenever that is. We saw Russell Wilson try to come back from the same injury last year with the Seahawks and that didn't change anything. He was very, he played very bad through his first couple of games. So I feel like, um, the Cowboys just off the strength of just the talent they have, like a Micah Parsons, like just off a couple game changing players, potentially, um, CD Land, potentially, this is a big potentially, Trayvon Diggs. I just feel like off the strength of that, that they have the best shot of being first place in the division outside the Eagles, but at the same time, we're talking about the NFC East where, what, we haven't had the same team with the division twice in a year since what? Since, what, I was in fifth grade maybe? So, I mean, like, even though I went, it's off the strength, I just got to say Cowboys, but that don't really say much. 
that's <laughs> not saying much. Uh, Kyrie, uh, listen, the NFC East, uh, is looking pretty good besides the Washington Commanders. Uh, talk to me about the Giants and Cowboys. Uh, what expectations do you have possibly for them coming into the season? Moving forward. I mean, the Cowboys to me, I mean, not the Cowboys, the Giants to me don't look really good either. Uh, I never, the Giants are never a team I really fear over these past couple of years because they have a quarterback by the name of Daniel Jones who isn't really good. And having, like, having Saquon come back this year, he's been playing solid, but it's not enough to win them games. They're receiving court. Henley Dial, they were just complaining about not getting the ball enough. And it goes out there and, and, and misses a wide open catch on third down in a crucial game in, in, in prime time. So when the, it's, the Giants have a lot going on, and they have a lot to, to – I feel like the Giants got to really look in the mirror and ask themselves if they feel like Daniel Jones, with this roster as currently constructed around him, is capable of winning games and is capable of even winning games and being competitive in a in a depleted conference like the NFC East. Um. So, yeah, to me, they're personally, I feel like they're the worst team – even though the records of the show as of now, I feel like they're the worst team in the NFC East right now. The Commanders, uh, it, they just, I feel like they got a really tough break with Chase Young, uh, re-entering his ACL this past, over the summer. Um, I think he's at like Von Miller's like, uh, linemate camp or something like that. And he, he, he re-aggravated his ACL tear. And I know they're really looking to have him come back with, to pair him up with Deron Payne up front and, and Montez Sweat and guys like that. But, uh, I feel like it's just bad luck. You got, you got Carson Wentz. We definitely know what bad luck looks like from him and they're getting it from him too. Uh, a lot of nine sacks on Sunday. But, um, yeah, the only other team I feel like is really competitive is the Cowboys. Uh, and that's not really saying much because they, year in, year out, I feel like the Cowboys have top to bottom on paper some of the deepest and some, some of the toughest rosters and, and, and teams in the league. And it just seems like every single year, whether it be injuries, whether it just be their, their lack of discipline on the defensive end, um, I just feel like they always seem to beat themselves. And, uh, and this year is no different. I mean, Dak Prescott goes out and hurt him, hurts himself in the first week, the first game of the season. Um, uh, yeah, you still have Michael Gallup that's out with injury. CD Lamb still struggling with his drops, even though he, he, re- he redeemed himself last Sunday with the game winning catch, which is insane. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's unfortunate because the Cowboys do have a lot of good pieces, not to mention a guy, Tony Pollard, who I feel like isn't really looked at as their RB1, but is their RB1 because Ezekiel Elliott's not getting the job done and hasn't been for the past few years. So, uh, yeah, the Cowboys are, are in that weird position where they have a lot, a lot of good pieces on both ends, but, uh, they just can't seem to get everything to align right for them to put, to put together a consistent season in order for them to be the best team in the NFC East and go far in the playoffs. So, yeah, outside, like, none of those teams really, again, none of those teams really uh, strike fear of me. I definitely feel like the Eagles are going to win the uh, NFC East uh, in a cakewalk. Okay, pretty solid point. Last but not least, before we end this uh, episode for today, Johnny, um, the current standings, Eagles, uh, you had the Cowboys, Giants, and Washington Commanders. Will that remain in the future by the end of the season, respectfully? Or does it shake up? Uh, I think it shakes up a little bit, but ultimately, I, I, of course, our boys are going to be a top Eagles. But as far as the Cowboys and Giants, um, I got the Commanders. I, I do have them finishing last, unfortunately. Um, I really don't, I don't trust that Chase Daniels is when he comes back, that they, they get together at the end of the season. But as far as the middle of the pack is considered, um, I got, I actually like the, I hate them both, uh, but, uh, <laughs> I actually like, I respect the Giants more than the Cowboys. Um, I like what they've been doing. Um, it's been, I, I've actually expected them to be 0 3. They grinded out a couple of tough games. Um, walk off field goal against Carolina, beat Tennessee by one. Um, Played hard against the Cowboys. That was a good, that was a good game, uh, Monday night. But, um, Saquon's been running better than I expected him to. Um, they're utilizing Daniel Jones. I'm going to say utilizing. I use that term loosely. I just think they're, they're all, their own line is just so depleted and horrible that Daniel Jones is just basically surviving back there because he is just rushing. I, 
like, man, that boy, he know how to, he know how to get out the clock and just make things happen. But I guess that's what happens. You got an old line like that. But, but it's, I think it's just they have the better coach, in my personal opinion, Brian the ball. Um, he's got championship pedigree in college and with the Patriots. So I think he's like slowly turning that, turning that culture around, which I think he helped clearly show it off the first two weeks. But I think ultimately the Giants, uh, uh, I think they got, I got them down for finishing second. And that's just because I just agree with the simple concept with the Cowboys. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And it, it just never fails to show, never ceases to amaze. Um, they just, it not even, I didn't even expect the Dak Prescott problem. Like, uh, it was, like it was mentioned before, I didn't expect much out of him with him coming back. And that's just that I just, it's just been showing over time and time again that the Cowboys, they just always drop at the end of the season. Always as an disease, no matter how the schedule is set up, no matter how, what position that they're in, at towards the end of the season, they always do what the Cowboys do, and they just slump. But at the end of the day, I do got them barely passing Washington. But I, I, I'm not going to lie, the Giants are surprising me a little bit more. All right. So that concludes episode 72 of the Restricted Zone podcast. I want to give a shout out. To my fellow co-hosts, Kyrie, Kendrick, Chris, and Johnny, appreciate you guys joining the media. Unfortunately, wasn't able to come today, uh, caught a cold, but he will be back next week. Uh, thanks a lot for tuning in. Hopefully, you guys enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoyed recording this. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Restricted Zone Pod. We're on all streaming platforms. Yes, it is free. I'm talking about Apple, Spotify, whatever, whatever you name it. We're on there. Please give us a listen. Follow us. Uh, definitely DM us too. Our Instagrams, respectively, will be inside of the description below. You can tell us what topics you'd like for us to cover, and we will gladly get to it. Uh, thanks a lot for tuning in. Have a great day, everyone, and stay blessed.